<laughs> What's up, y'all? It's Clyde Singleton. This is WCRP on skateboarding. We're back with my man, Mr. Tony Roberts, for a part two. I'd like to thank my sponsors for the Mushroom King plus Skate Shop and all the people that support us out there. I'd like to thank you very much. Hit that donate button. Oh. There we go. What's up, man? What's good? Dude, I finally we, we we linked up. That's what's good. That's what's good. <laughs> people think this stuff's easy, man. It's it's not easy, dude. It's hard getting up with people. No. So I appreciate your time. I really do, first and foremost, man. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh yeah, I appreciate yours too. So yeah, man. I want to let's get back to um the conversation. We got the first one, and uh, we got cut out by the hurricane, as everyone. We'll probably hear when we go into this. It's absolutely fine, man. It's uh, it's some good audio. I was listening to it earlier, and it's it's an awesome interview, dude. Really stoked. That was wild. Yeah, man, I want to talk to you about some, um, you know, since we last spoke, um, obviously some things that, I mean, I, the internet doesn't fucking matter, but I've learned a couple things since last time we spoke, which is great, which is really good to know. Um, obviously, we had a conversation about the Christ there, which, um, which is, I'm sure you've had some, uh, some insight on that as well. You know, this seems to be a great question to ask you. How does, um, you know, the old, like the old, the OGs, was it always, um, was there an east-west type thing, or was it more of a, this is how I see it. I'll just be honest with you. I see it as there's obviously east coast, west coast, but it's like playing football. If you want to be a good football player, you're going to go to school down south. You're going to go to one of the schools like Alabama. You know, you're going to go to one of the good schools down south. So with skateboarding, you have to go to California to compete. So to me, it doesn't feel as if there's a, you know, like a like a California East Coast thing. It's almost like you have to go compete. That's your that's your only option in skateboarding. You know what I mean? Like you can't have it both ways. You can't be the good guy in your neighborhood and be the good guy in skateboarding. It doesn't work like that. Does that make sense? No doubt. Yeah, it's always been like that. And of course, with street skating, maybe Barcelona and a, cu- a couple other places where you just want to show up to those energy centers. But as far as a rivalry, like you said, all the best people were gathering at the same place and it was more like the same tribe. And growing up in California, ripping to come to California and to skate with them and film them. And that energy is is kind of at the elite level of the sport. And at the elite level of the sport, I don't believe there's any rivalry at all. But from all the fans and all the other people that, you know, some of them travel, some of them don't, but there's all these different levels of where they're just so proud of where they're from that it, it kind of creates like what now could be called an online rivalry win. In reality, the people that are really doing it, they love each other. You know, even in the going off days, like what was that like putting that, putting that project together? Oh, that was incredible. I mean, back then, skateboarding wasn't 
so such a huge tribe it was kind of smaller okay and so as i said you know like we were we were just waiting for people to come and when they were if they were fresh and they had the moves then they were they were invited into the circle you felt that when you came out no doubt here's another factor it's really important that if you were amped to shoot and you were smart enough to leave pager messages because back then it was beepers okay. before cell phones or pay, or call somebody on the rotary phone or a pay phone that's how you got in the magazine and yeah. if you were really good and you were on top of it then you were definitely coming out a lot of guys were really good but they didn't want to put any effort into shooting and they remained unknown and so it wasn't like it is now where you go out skating you got your filmer back in the day it wasn't like that people just skated and if you were going to film it was a rare opportunity and you'd really go in 100% because you might only have one day one week maximum and 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 you couldn't like rewind and delete back then you know what's <laughs> it no. Yeah, you didn't have the option. In the so early you, days, you couldn't even see what you were getting. In the early days, you'd have to shoot everything and know that you're nailing your exposures and everything because you'd have to get the film processed before you could see it. So it was really more of a a purist endeavor to where everybody was doing it for the reason of trying to do something good. And of course, there was the camaraderie and and you know people like getting together. But everybody had their own little battle. It's an individual sport they were trying to do, depending on their level. And everybody can see how good they are and celebrating those victories when they make something. It might be something super basic or it might be something crazy. And everybody gets stoked. And it's still like that today, of course. And that's the essence of, of skateboard. It's WCRP. early to mid 80s are the biggest mystery to me in skateboarding like you know, it's the way some people tell it it's almost like no one rode a skateboard you know uh, skateboarding died and that is a huge mystery to me anything about that i'm just clueless to that area bro that era was pure magic because you really nailed it skateboarding had kind of dried up and died but of course for like for me i was man that was in my heyday you know i was like 15, 16, 17 years old uh, during those early 80s years. And you skated ramps, you skated street. And when in the late 70s, I was a sponsored little kid. I had everything, bro. I had clothing. I had ripped up thrift store pants on a skateboard that had been completely trucks grinded to the axle. Uh, the deck just completely destroyed, wheels worn all the way down because we just skated non-stop and nobody had sponsors anymore. And that kind of leads me into one of my favorite memories, which is the day that I met Keith Meek. Because Keith Meek grew up in San Jose. I grew up in Santa Cruz. And he showed up in Santa Cruz at one of our spots and it was just pure magic, the chemistry. And I'd actually seen him once years before when the skate park was open. 
But this session was at Skate Park SoCal at our park years after it had closed down and there was one little bowl that was still skatable. And this was, like you said, this was kind of when skateboarding was in the apocalypse. Like it had already died and our old park was just rubble and, and just rocks with one dirty little bowl that we'd still skate and our, our decks are all broken down. Meekster pulls in and we became really good friends just immediately. And he just moved to Santa Cruz, invited me up to his house and gave me, pulled out like 20 different decks. They were all in this barrel. He dumped it upside down on the garage floor. And I, just that sound of all these decks falling on the floor. It's like, you can pick anyone you want. And I picked out the Santa Cruz Stinger. It was like a red, like, I think it was a George Orton model or something but it was a red like stinger kind of like fat you know like 10 inch wide board and he gave me a pair of wheels and i already had my indies they were grinded down but i wasn't going to ride anything else and he also played for me punk rock for the first time i ever heard punk rock that same day wow. he played me man for the dogs man for the dogs 45 dead kennedys on his on his record player that was like what i wanted and i didn't even know it existed i was into like ted nugent and and aerosmith uh, just any of the faster kind of music that was around in the early 70s and and led zeppelin and that was kind of my my music because my parents were blasted stevie wonder earth wind and fire bob marley jazz so in the house, I listened to all this one style of music, but then my style of music was was rock, but I loved everything. But I wanted the fastest stuff I could find, and so Meekster said, do you like punk? And I'm like, and he, he laughed, he goes, listen to this, and he put the record on, and it went right into right into the every cell of my body. I was like, oh man. He was a full punker, and so this was like, what, 1980, 1981? And it came straight into Santa Cruz full steam. And he already knew all these people that were in bands that were coming down from the city, that we were going up to the city, and we started going to gigs together. And yeah, the story is they, they all connect. But the early 80s was super rad. That's when punk rock came in hot. That's when um, skateboarding was pure and the the guys who never stopped um they got really good at that at that point in time like steve caballero is somebody who i've skated with my entire life that's when cab went into just like a whole nother level i mean he was already probably the best guy in the skate park like definitely in northern california he's the best guy it's wcrp And then when it moved into that underground, almost Mad Max chapter of, of skateboarding, that then Cobb became the, ult, the ult, ultra adapter, you know, kind of like how Kid Cab definitely had that. And he even at that point in time was getting into skimboarding. He was always coming to Santa Cruz to skimboard because he was just that kind of innovative, open-minded freak of nature who just needed needed to to rip into a realm that no one else was doing 
Cab has always been not an anomaly to me, but he's just always been a very interesting guy. Because as you say, like even as a kid, I noticed I was like, dude, he looks comfortable like on everything. Him, Hasoy, and you know, like they look very comfortable skating street. So to me, that I was like, wow, dude, this is absolutely incredible to see these guys just, you know, just cruise on anything, yeah. and to know that they were adaptable to because. Stedham spoke for him. This, this is very funny. Stedham spoke about how it was very hard for him to go from skating pools to backyard ramps. And I never thought about that until he said it, you know, because you're so used to pumping and having so much speed and you're not going like wall to wall. Like you're you're moving. You're moving on a skateboard. And so when you're going back, and I never thought about that until he said it. So a lot of those guys that came from that era, that's got that's highly respectable. Yeah, you had to carve the whole bowl before. You had to do long carve grinds, long slide and rolls, you know, lip slides, just using the whole pool going around the corners. And, and you had to go from that to, to janky-ass backyard ramps and, and start doing <laughs> hand plants. And, yeah, not easy. I saw a uh, – dude, speaking of uh, – I saw a picture of uh, – not a picture, I'm sorry. I actually posted a clip of Alan Losey doing a Smith grind in Delmar 85. Jesus, dude. Woo. I had no idea. I was like, wow, that dude was no joke. Like, I had no idea. See, I don't know about this kind of stuff because our guys weren't telling us this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I ju- I'm just finding out a lot of stuff the last 10, 15 years. You know, and I've been skating most of my life, and it wasn't like I didn't care. It was just that I was not in the know. And I'm, I love history. I love skateboarding. So now these two things merging together for me and talking to guys like yourself. And I, I've always wanted to talk to Keith Meek because I had no idea who he was. Yeah, Like literally, I was like, oh, the guy's just got a board. And I didn't know he ripped. You know, like I didn't. Like I was just like, oh, it's a guy that has a cool skateboard. I didn't know Claus Grabke ripped. You know, so that's how clueless I was to skateboarding. And that's the importance of doing this show and talking to guys like yourself and all the older OGs that are, you know, really non-biased, yeah. you know, they're non-biased. They want to, they want to give some very in-depth information. And that's important to me, man. I like to listen back on this stuff and like, Oh man, that's awesome. Did I have no idea? You know, like, like guys from my era, they're great. Don't get me wrong, but most of them are pretty boring. Like the older guys, I, I, I just would really love to talk to them about everything from skateboards to, you know, the early the early 80s were very interesting to me. And, yeah, man, this is awesome, dude. I I couldn't ask you. Yeah, better. you've got to talk to Keith Meek, Clyde. Okay. Keith Meek, in, like, he was skating street, like, in the late 70s, like, early 80s. Like, he's a, he's a full street OG. Like, there was a guy named Ricky Windsor who, who Keith's super innovative – and but Meek himself to this day is known for being able to put together lines and backyard pools that no one else can do. Like that's his specialty is he's able to find these different pockets and put together these lines where, you know, these double, triple carve grinds, figure eight, you know, and then throwing in the, the inverts and the airs and mixing and all the tricks because he grew up in – uh, San Jose with Steve Caballero skating Winchester. And so, yeah, Meekster, you know, it's he's known for that slasher board because he's, like, stayed true and, and still skates pools and 
he's like in his 60s and it's always funny because when he was 20 he looked like he was like 13 and he was like when he was 30 <laughs> he looked like when he was like 18 he's like <laughs> before like it's wcrp It's so cool that you're getting into to this era and shining some light on some of these figures because I see like generations of skateboarders come and go like the wind, man. You've you've seen it already, just the amount of time you've been in game. That these people they're so clicked out about what's happening right now and the tricks that people are doing and who's hot and this and that, and that's just like everything to them. But where are those guys gonna be in five years, ten years, twenty years? Thank you. 30 years. How about in 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, they're talking about the history of skateboarding? And believe me, they will. What are they going to talk about? You know? Yep. Kickflips? <laughs> Kickflips and, kick and little wheels? I mean, maybe. Maybe. But I think that the real gem of skate history is the 80s. And that's what they're going to be interested about in 50 years from now. Way more than the 90s. In the 90s, if you look at skate like media right now on YouTube, uh, podcasts, whatnot, it's all dudes. I mean, you came from a little earlier, but it's mostly dudes from whose kind of history of skateboarding starts with the kickflip. Absolutely. And I love the post kickflip era myself, but I don't want to say that pre that is slept on. They're freaking zombied on, bro. I mean, growing up myself in the late 70s, early 80s, I was so hungry for skate nostalgia history. I love skateboarding so much, I wanted to know every detail of where it came from. I learned about Torger Johnson, Ed Nadalin, every, every photographer, every filmer, every magazine, every v when VHS came out. Before all that, it was just magazines. And I was so interested and so hungry to learn. And, and, and then when you'd meet other skaters, it was the coolest thing ever. And then as time went on, skateboarding became professional. I got to work with these dudes. I got to like do my whole skate career, my film career, uh, my video career. And then... Now, here we are years later, and bro, to me, it's still the same as when I was a child. I still love skateboarding for the same reasons. I'm still interested in everything that's happening today, everything that happened in the thousands, in the 90s, in the 80s. But the dudes who started in the early 90s could give a rat's ass about what happened before they started. It's the weirdest thing about skateboarding. And nowadays, the young kids, they're fully interested in what happened before the kickflip. And they're really reaching out. I mean, I'm getting like inquiries from all over the place <laughs> for just a variety of stuff because people are really interested in like, where did this all come from? Yes. And so I think that in, in 40, 50, 60 years, it's going to be really important, the history of our sport, which is still very young. I mean, it really started in the 70s. It, I mean, it, 60s was two by four stuff, you know? And so, yeah, it's all, it's all basically pretty new. And another kind of continuing on that theme, the whole Instagram social media thing where people 
like they're so divisive and they're and they're like this or that. No, dude, skateboarding isn't this or that. Skateboarding is everything. If you roll on a board and it feels good and you're having fun, that's what it's all about. I mean, you've heard that saying, the one who has the most fun is the best skateboarder. Well, yes. guess what? The better you are at something, the more fun it is. Yes. So believe you me, the best skateboarder in the world is freaking Yuto Horigome. He's having the best. He's having the most fun. Yep. He's having more fun than anybody because the better you are, something, the more fun it is. So when people say that, they're having more fun than the guy who's ripping. No, dude, it does not work like that. <laughs> but that does doesn't not. mean that when you're, when you're 40, 50, or 60 years old, you still might be doing shit like Darren Navarrete or Tony Hawk or Ron Allen to where you're actually more stylish and doing the same trick you've been doing for 30 years with that kind of refinement and that kind of polish on top of it, like a yogi or a martial artist. We're the first people that have done this since we were little kids, bro. This is totally uncharted territory. Like when, when I was a kid, there was no 30-year-old, 40-year-old cats who could skateboard. It's WCRP. Nowadays, back to the Instagram, social media, all that, it's like I've got people who I filmed segments of who I really helped out, and they helped me, and they don't follow me back. I'll tell you, anybody I ever met skateboarding or surfing or anyone who I ever helped out or whoever helped out me or inspired me in any way, I see their name on social media. It's an instant follow. It used to bother me a little bit. And then I realized two things. Number one, social media is not real. You know, it's like the minute you put your phone down and say you walk to the store, whatever you're looking at on social media is not even real. It doesn't even have to do with your real life. And I'm not saying this about you. I'm saying this about myself. So that's the way I started looking at it. And then I had to remember that a lot of people in the industry are fake as shit. And that's just, you know, that's just unfortunate. And it's a lot of people that we know. I'm not sure who they think they are or who they, I don't know. You know, I can't figure it out, but that's not, that's not for me to figure out. You know, it's like, you know what? I did the right thing. I was giving them their props and that's it. You know, it's, it's okay to just give them their props and walk away. And if they don't want to be cool, that's good. You know know what I say, Tony, if I don't see you on the way up, I see you on the way back down because they are always, you know what I mean? It's like, like people forget where they came from. And that's that's absolutely fine. I didn't forget where I came from, and I'm not going to lower myself to that because that's that is that shows a lot of character, and and you don't want to match someone's energy on that character. That's that's how I look at it personally. So, you know, hopefully that can yeah. I just can't I can't take that kind of stuff serious, you know, because it's just a weird thing. People want to be cool on the internet, and it's like, dude, we're. 50 some 60 years old dude like you are not going to be cool to these kids and that too's on the internet you know a lot of those guys man i don't take a lot of what they do serious and they're using the internet as it should be used but they should also remember where the fuck they came from always remember that no doubt yeah always and remember. it's also skewed because i hold people to my own standards which is never going to work and my standards are I was creating content 
since I was a child. And nobody did that. I made videos. I shot photos. I produced music. I did events. All to just up the energy and the progression. I mean, first of my crew, then international. And so then, you know, all of a sudden you have VCRs. You can watch tapes on your TV. I remember when that was new school, bro. That was like, what? <laughs> People never imagined that. Before you had to watch it projected on the wall. Before there used to be videos like VHS. Before there was magazines, you know. Now it's Instagram. So if you want to be producing the shit and showing your skills of filmmaking and of skateboarding and of surfing and of editing and all the stuff I've committed my entire life to and never stopped progressing, that's where you got to do it. Speaking of editing and filming, I filmed a really sick click clip the other day and I think you'd really appreciate it. It's a rolling clip and it's probably the best clip I've ever filmed in my life. Definitely That's what it's all about. You, you thought you're thinking about it days later and everybody else there is thinking about it and that energy brought it to the next level, the next clip, the next progression and that doesn't ever stop if you don't want it to. And of course it's on different levels but there's a lot of levels. And why would you deprive yourself of the joy of skateboarding? You're talking about people that quit skateboarding. You know, I'm going to have to quote Grasso on this one. You were never a skater. If you, if you quit skateboarding, of course, if you got hurt and you can't do it again, you'll always be a skater. But if you were able-bodied and chose to like not skateboarding, like, oh, I don't need that anymore. Like, unless you were like a top pro and you just got too much overdose, that I can understand also. But for just a casual, like normal dude, like, no, I don't have a, a board with some big soft wheels that I can ride to the store down the sidewalk. But I don't roll anymore. No. How could you deprive such a vital part of yourself? Yeah.